Hello and welcome to Franklin Covey's On Leadership series. My name is Scott Miller. I'm privileged to serve as your host and interviewer. And today we have one of our very own internal Franklin Covey authors in the studio, the author of the project management book that's done wildly well, Suzette Blakemore. Suzette, welcome. Hi, thanks. Honored to have you here. I'm, I'm guessing you didn't have a life ambition to be the co-author of a book on project management. I did not. Might have been like a, a, a romance novel or a leadership book or an opus on your life or something. But congratulations, because this has been a bit of a giant sleeper. Thank you. I mean, for, for a book that's been out now about three years or so, this book averages about 16 to 17,000 copies a year, which is remarkable in the book space for a book on a topic that most people don't wake up in the morning saying, what I need today is to go to Barnes & Noble and buy a book on project management, right? Yeah, it's not a beach read. Hasn't right? happened to me either, right. <laughs> well, it might be for some of our project management friends, right? So you just, you just offended several hundred thousand people in the PMI Institute, uh, right? I'm sorry about that. You are very smart people, <laughs> but you're probably a member of that group as well. Talk about a bit of your journey of how you got to writing this book. You've been in our firm for almost a decade now. You were um, uh, a leader, an author before that. Talk about... Your, your professional journey? I've been in the world of business for a long, long time, yeah. right? I, I've done sales, I've done leadership, marketing. I've done marketing, I've done, I've done everything. I've, I've gotten to do this great dance of learning it all. Yeah. For most of my career, I was in franchising. Mm -hmm. And my job was to help franchisees get their businesses off the ground, right? Sales, team, operation, marketing, profitability. We worked on all of it. Which is a big industry if you think about how many businesses are part of a franchise model. Big industry. And you're working with people who put their lives on the line, right? right. To right. own their own business to, to have the American dream. So I was really passionate about helping these people. And when I made the switch over to Franklin Covey, one of the reasons that I did is Franklin Covey has this unique way of addressing the very challenges I was seeing those people have, right? Things about building a, a culture and creating great teams and learning how to execute well. So for me, it's been this, this perfect um, ability to come over and merge these two worlds and it's, I've been lucky every, every moment. Of We're it. lucky to have you, truly. The book takes a little bit different take on the project management world, right? I mean, the, the, the project management industry didn't need necessarily one more book about process. Your co-authorship in this book takes a really kind of a different point of view around balancing the invaluable aspect of process people, as you kind of call them, mm -hmm. and the equally important value of people people, or the per people persons, if you will. That's hard to say, isn't it? <laughs> the right tense, yeah. Yes. Process people and people people. You shared in your story a, a, a great experience about one of our consultants, Dave's, Dave, who divides people into a room at a work session. Kind of walk us through that kind of opening story in the book. Yeah, it, it's a great story. I just happened to be in the room when Dave did this. So this is, this is real life. We were in a room of engineers, yeah. and he asked the room, he said, everybody stand up, and here's what I want you to do. I want to, you to walk to one side of the room if you're a people person, mm -hmm. and I want you to walk to the other side of the room if you resonate with process, you're a process person. So everybody stood up and it took just a few minutes for them to kind of wrap their heads around, wait a second, what am I? And you saw them slowly make their way to each side of the room. Hmm. Surprising to me, I, I guess I shouldn't have been surprised because we were in a room of engineers, only three or four people made their way to the people side, right? How do you define process people versus people people? 
So people people would be people who are relationship oriented. They're extroverted. They, they really, they're all about making sure that we're feeling good during the project. We're communicating mm. well. We're the people. Scott Millers of the world. The right? Scott Millers, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, process people, all about systems, tools, mindsets, mm. right? Making sure that we're following a process and we're systematic about it. What was interesting? Boring. boring. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, you Valuable. just offended how many <laughs> know, millions of process people. Um, the great news is, as we were standing there, uh, Dave said, "Hey, process people, tell us why process is so important." And with a lot of vigor, right? Somebody stood up and said, "Process is the thing. If you aren't doing process, if you aren't using systems and tools, you're missing the whole point." Really adamant. And, and uh, Dave said, that's great, thank you mm -hmm. very much. Hey, people, people, tell us about your side of the story. And one guy with a little less vigor stood up and said, you know, I look at it this way. If you don't engage the people, it won't matter what happens with the process. You'll have a failed project. And it was this great kind of defining moment where we could both see each other's side. We could see that both are needed, mm -hmm, right. right? And uh, the process people said, look, you're right. We got it. We've got to get better at this. And the people people said, yeah, we've probably got to get better at process. So I, I loved it. It was a great moment. I think it's the unique voice of your book is the value of both. I, I say boring. I mean that kind of in jest because right. I have learned that my focus on the people side has done a disservice, if you will, to the process-oriented people into the company at large. Now, as I was preparing for our interview today, I reread this book. I read it when it first came out. I reread it again. And I was in, my sh in the shower. I just my, my best thinking, thinking about, so how am I a project manager? Because you know, as the chief marketing officer, I wouldn't uh, title myself as a project manager. I've done that, and I've moved you know, through that role to other roles in my career. But the fact of the matter is, I am a project manager because everything I thought about in the shower was a project, whether it was with the board of directors or the CEO or a publisher or a vendor or a partnership or a client. Every one of them boiled down to a project. And I said, you know what? That's exactly who I am. I am a unofficial project manager managing a dozen projects at any given time. I think that's why the book has done so well because at the end of the day, almost all of us are official or unofficial project managers. It's, it's so true. And what I found interesting in my career, because I've been the same thing, right? Unofficial project manager right. my, my whole career. Didn't even necessarily realize I was getting projects my whole career. Yeah. Because they don't come to you in that form, right? You get asked. No one wants to give someone a project. Right. right? They might not want to so, do it. So, so they just don't say it. Yeah. So you hear things like, help me improve customer loyalty scores. Or help me plan the summer party. Launch right? this product. Right. Or, Launch this product. It doesn't sound like a project. So when I hear project, I hear Gantt charts, PERT charts. Correct. Process and I shut down. You, you shut down. The problem with it, though, is because we don't talk about it as projects. I, as an unofficial project manager, don't often recognize that that's exactly what I'm about to embark on, is a project, right? right? And the people who lead me also don't recognize that I probably need some skills to do project management better. So unless I belong to a project management office or I've got a certification, I am going out into the world doing these really important things with no skills, no process, no tools behind me. 
I, I feel like these are therapy sessions, unfortunately, because whenever I read these books, I find myself doing some things well, but of course, lots of things wrong. One of the reasons your book spoke to me was I found myself erring on my career on the side of the people and not as much in the process, right? When I first was named the chief marketing officer, there were five or six people in the division, big title, small division, right? And we functioned quite well at just talking to each other, right? We'd gather around a computer screen, everybody knew what everyone was working on, there was no information gap because we all worked 10 feet from each other. And as we became more successful, the CEO gave us more projects or more divisions or more people. And as we became more successful, we were able to recruit people outside the company who were typically process people because we knew we needed more process. And as we began to integrate process people into our sort of people people team, yeah. it caused problems because we had no process. Process was Scott saying, hey everybody, gather around, I wanna get your opinion on this website or what do you think about this product launch? Right. Instead, you know, the process people wanted us to have it on an online file, right? Or wanted us to be on some sort of chat process and you know, sort of live within the process. And it was tough for me to move to them and tough for them to move to me. And I think as the firm has matured, I have had to become not just more accommodating, but more invested and validating of the importance of the process side for the people side and, and vice versa. I imagine a lot of people find themselves in that same dilemma as they're growing and maturing in their organization. Well, yes, and good for you that you recognized it, right? Because you immediately knew you needed to add process to the team. Or, or if I don't validate it or accommodate it, I won't be able to keep these really invaluable genius process people that we lack. Absolutely, because I can add them to the team, but that doesn't mean I can keep them right, on the team, right, right? right? Unless I start to value what Because they they'll value. just see us as a bunch of, you know, um, uh, high energy, visionary people that can get stuff done, but the 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 amount of organs it takes to give to get it done is so difficult without process. Correct, correct. So it, at Franklin Covey, we say it takes both, right? right? People plus process equals success. Where we're different is that a lot of project management methodology out there, a, a lot of books that you would read would be all about process, right. right? Very little about the people side of it. And we realize that it takes both in pretty much equal parts if you want to have a successful project. I mean, this book really is a leadership book. It's really not a project management book in my opinion. It's all about how do leaders of projects, formal, informal, uh, people don't feel like they're really, uh, you know, a senior leader, they're going to be a junior leader. How do you manage projects in a way that accommodate both process and, and people side? But you mentioned four sort of unique, if you will, behaviors, foundational behaviors in the book. I'd love to walk through them. Demonstrate respect, listen first, clarify expectations, and practice accountability. Will you take a minute on each of those? Start first with the value of this foundational behavior called demonstrate respect. Demonstrate respect. First of all, whenever I hear those four foundational behaviors, I think everybody's got those, right? They're, they sound so simple. The reality is, think about this. When you are behind on a project, you've got your boss yelling about the deadline. You've got the CFO coming to you and worried about the budget. You've got people on your team who you've asked to do things and they're not being accountable to getting them done it's very hard to demonstrate respect in that situation. All of us yeah. go to, it, I just gotta get it done. Because right? your personal brand's on the line, Correct. the brand of your team's on the line, and if you're a good leader, you have everybody's career you know, uh, 
end in mind present in your own psyche and you want to make sure that everybody doesn't risk that. Absolutely. So you start to feel in crisis mode, yeah. right? And the way we react to people in crisis mode is very different than we act to people when we're not. And so this concept of I need to be able to demonstrate respect throughout the whole project from beginning to end when things are going well and when things aren't. Because if I don't, what I quickly do is disengage my team and I'm likely to make things worse. Right. Because a lot of leaders, I found myself in the same as when something is going wrong, you have a lot of options. An easy one to default to is sort of frustration and passion, and that can come out in ways that aren't acceptable. Correct. And you think you're maybe motivating the team with clarity when in fact you're, you're shutting them down because now you've created a hostile environment when it wasn't maybe your intention, but it came out unintentionally. I, I found myself there. Uh, so have I, right? It, it's well-intentioned, and I think when you're in charge of a project, you want it to end well. What you don't realize is what's happening in the middle is going to dictate that end. And these, these concepts of stopping and bringing the team together and demonstrating respect, so important. And it's especially important because there may be legitimate times as a project leader where, you know, the team deserves a little bit of a comeuppance because they're not doing their job in spite of problems, but you have to really be measured in the way you don't you know, disinspire them, but there's no such term, but you know, yep. kill the spirit of that. Correct. Second foundational behavior is listen first. Always easier said than done. Listen first, right. Listen to who? So you're listening to everyone, right? You've got to listen to the people on your team, but where I think we also make a mistake as project managers, especially unofficial project managers, is we don't do a very good job of listening to our stakeholders. We don't identify who they are. We don't go in and interview them. We, we, we hear from them a very abbreviated, here's what I want you to do for a project. And what most of us think is, I better not ask more questions. Hmm. Because if I do, they're gonna question why they gave the project to me. So hmm. instead, we head off on our own trying to come up with our own idea of what that project should look like, instead of stopping, taking a few minutes, asking some great questions, listening intently, and making sure I'm heading in the right direction. Yeah, it's superb advice for because people like me, of which there must be one out there somewhere in the world. <laughs> I didn't marry her. <laughs> I love her, but I didn't marry her. Uh, people with a bias to action tend to like to just get results and our brand is a little bit, we do it in spite of all the obstacles or in spite of all the process. We just, you know, right. just get on and start, you know, riding the horse, so to speak. And it's difficult inherently for even for me to sort of gather all the facts, listen to everyone, because I feel like when I do that, I'm going to be given every reason why it can't be done, why it shouldn't be done, why it's going to cost more money, why I haven't thought it through. And all those could be true. And sometimes I, as a leader, want to just put on blinders and say, I'm going to gather just enough facts or listen just enough to where you don't fatigue me because right. we, we're going to get this done no matter what. Right. I can listen for five hours or five minutes. And it, it's, a, it's kind of a fine balance, right, between just being um, uh, deaf to them all and listening so much to where you've gathered all this information like well how could we ever even start it now with all those facts right and I, I, you and I are too much alike because I'm the same way right I just want to get going and I don't want anybody to throw up a barrier the problem is in not listening first what I do is I head down the trajectory of my own project 
Mm. not the project of a key stakeholder. Mm. Because I don't know what they've truly asked for, right? So I can do all of this great work. I could have engaged my team. I can even finish successfully, but it's a little bit like getting on a plane that you think is going to China and ending up in Australia, right? As good as the ride was, I'm okay. still in the wrong place. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, listening first, it's I an important one. As I, as I read that behavior in the book, I saw myself a lot in that because something that I'm struggling to be a better leader at is knowing when to kind of go with my instincts and sort of driving the team and knowing when to take a breath and pull back. Because inevitably when I take a breath, a wise advisor on the team will have a different direction and I'll say, you know what, that is a better idea. How long will that delay it? How uh, could the reach be bigger? How much will that cost? And I have to balance really sort of my, um, my impetuous nature to want to get it done and ring the bell for everybody with if I were to listen a little more to some competing points of view, can we still accomplish both? Can it be better and include all these points of view and still accomplish the same or better results faster, cheaper, smarter, right? You're right on the yeah. money. It's a struggle for me. Well, and you should, you can teach it now, right? Because you're, you've learned it. We have to live way. it to teach it. So I'm trying to live it, right? <laughs> I'm not sure my team that I lead would always say that, but I've made some incremental progress out there, have I not? No. <laughs> They're saying no off screen. Yeah. Okay. The, the next one I'm in love with, because I'm a, a passionate about it, which is clarify expectations. Talk a bit about that. Yes, so once we've listened, right? And this is part of the problem we just talked about. We don't, we don't wanna listen because we don't often want to clarify the expectations. And so once we have, we've got to one, make sure we know what they are from key stakeholders, vendors, right? But we've also then, as a project manager, have to go out to our team and say, okay, here are the expectations. Let's make sure we're all on board. This is particularly hard when you're a project manager practicing informal authority, which mm -hmm. is what most of us are doing. Mm -hmm. Meaning I've got at least a component of people on my project that don't report to right, me right. and don't have my same priorities, right? right? So if, if I'm trying to get those people to get things done and I don't clarify expectations, I don't set deadlines, I don't talk about budgets, I don't talk about the barriers to entry that they might have in actually getting mm. that expectation mm -hmm. done. I'm setting us all up for failure. This one is particularly hard because, you know, we talked about being an unofficial project manager and that we don't call it a project. What we didn't talk about is a lot of times I'm not a leader of any sort when I manage a project. So I don't have leadership skills and I don't have project You're, you're kind of a shepherder, skills. you're an right, organizer. I'm a, I'm a shepherder, yeah. so I'm struggling with, hey, if, if I asked you to do something, Scott, and you didn't do it, what's my role now, mm -hmm. right? Do right. I have the right, right to go back to you? Call you out. And call right, you right, out, right. reiterate how important it is. And so you'll see a lot of people in Clarify Expectations just not do it well. Um, we hear from a lot of people who say, I would rather just do it myself. Mm. I'd rather not delegate to the team because when I delegate and they don't do it or they don't do it right, it's on my shoulders anyway. So why don't I just do it all on my own? It's you kind and I of where know that doesn't work. It's kind of the behavior where it can kind of go off the tracks. Absolutely. Because it takes diplomacy, it takes courage and consideration, 
it takes uh, I, I, you know, these diplomatic skills that not, I mean, they're tough for everybody, right? They are. And yet, it's something that helped me when I was a young project manager is I realized that when I clarified expectations, what I was actually clarifying for the people on my team was their value to the project, hmm. right? Because if I let them go, if I asked them to do something and they didn't get it done, and I just let it go and acted like that didn't matter, what did I inadvertently teach them? Well, they're not valuable, they're not important. They're not so, valuable, they're not important, right? right? And so in, when I frame it in that context, it really helps me to get clear with people, to say, look, I asked you for something because you're the only person who can do this. You're the only person who matters in this component of the job. I need you. And so let's reset the expectations here because you can't let me down again. And as hard as that might sound, what it actually does to the other person is have them go, well, wait a second, I matter. I feel like this is the big nugget in the book. And perhaps it's not unique to your book, but I think part of the process, it's the linchpin. One of my personal heroes is Blaine Lee. Mm -hmm. Not everyone knows who Blaine Lee is. Blaine Lee wrote a book on, the, on my wall up here called The Power Principle. Blaine was one of the co-founders of the Covey Leadership Center with Stephen R. Covey. And Blaine, Blaine wrote this book. And one of the concepts he teaches, which I've led my life by since meeting Blaine, is he's quoted as saying loosely, he's passed now, is that almost all conflict in life, comes from unfulfilled, unmet, unclarified expectations. And I think that's so profound. I think about wars and budgets and political parties and firings and terminations and marriages. And it's so true that how, how important clarifying the expectation is amongst peers, amongst your subordinates, on all your stakeholders in a project, whether you're responsible for their outcome formally or not. It takes, uh, it takes some uncomfortable courage sometimes. Absolutely. Balance with consideration to make sure that everybody is clear on expectations. I see it on the team I lead every day. I, a particular scenario that I'm dealing with literally right now, this morning, is I have two extremely competent people on the team that I lead. Both of them I would rehire again in a different career. I'm not sure they would work for me, but I would rehire them. They have actually had a big impact on my own career trajectory. Yeah. And they have similar talents, somewhat different styles, right? Kind of balancing the process side and the people side. And I knew this going into this project. And I sat with them both individually and on a large, a large group and said, now guys, I could see X, Y, and Z happening if we don't get on the same page. So I want you to over communicate, listen to each other, clarify the journey. I don't want you to get too far down the track because you know, she might be upset and not be able to weigh in. So please, will you work together, even outside your comfort zone? You know, get off of email, get off of WeChat, and actually walk down to her office, and they <laughs> haven't to the level I hoped they would, and they're exactly where I feared we would be. The project is stalled, we're missing the deadline, it's gonna impact clients, impact revenue, yep. because of perhaps my inability to clarify what has to happen, I didn't think so, but apparently, and perhaps some of their unwillingness to figure out how to work, work it out. I don't guess that's unique to these two people, right? It's not, and just because we know something, right, doesn't mean we know how to do something. And so I think what's important as a project manager is, is helping those people know what, what will it take for us to actually get into a place where we can collaborate. 
but you can't dictate it. You've got to let them weigh in as well, right? And the last one to that point is around practicing accountability. Talk about that kind of as the bookend of the, of the four behaviors. Yeah, th this one's so important, right? Because we can do the others, right? I can listen, I can demonstrate respect, I can clarify right, expectations. Right. But if I don't actually practice accountability, first as a project manager, where my team can look at me and say, well, that's the model. Hmm. When Scott says right. he's going to do something right. by a certain time, he always does it. He never lets us down. And we operate at Franklin Covey, one of our premises is that people are actually more accountable to peers than they are to their leaders because they don't want to let their peer group down, right? Correct. I find the same with me. Right, and so everybody has to demonstrate it. We have to all be accountable to each other. And, and by the way, whether we realize it or not, we're all watching to see who isn't accountable. Mm -hmm. We're also watching to see if our leader does anything about right. it. Right, has she modeled, walked the talk on the same behavior she's asking all of us to do? Not just these three, but you know, other processes in the, in the system. Yep. Tell us, um, as we finish our last couple of minutes here, I'd love to have you back and talk more about the process side. Okay. We've spent most of our time today on the people side. What are some of the key issues you hear from around the world on the, on the struggles people have with managing projects? I think it is exactly what we've been saying. First of all, do I even identify that these are projects? Do I realize hmm. I own them? Have, have I, I named them that right, and own it as a project? Right, do I own it that way? Once we do that, so that's the first thing I would say to people is maybe today take a minute and stop and assess what are the projects that are happening in your life, both personally and professionally, because by the way, I do just as many right. projects at home right. as I do right. at work, right? Um, but what are they? Name them that, right? And what does that do for you? For me, it makes me realize I have to put a methodology to them, right? I have to do the people and the process side of it. I think you've just nailed it because when I was in the shower thinking about all the things I do, I realized they're all projects, but I may not be leading them like a project. I'm not necessarily doing all these four behaviors. So I think I'm going to do just that when we leave the studio today. I'm going to list out all those things and begin thinking about, do I have the process in place? Do I have the people side in place? Because I've probably got 15 projects I'm involved with, but I don't let philosophically I've named them that and have a process to treat them as such. If you do it, it changes everything, yeah, right? Yeah. Because the minute you start to label them a project and you label yourself a project manager, it'll change the way you act towards those projects. How I schedule them, allocate resources, define my role in them, Correct. align with these four behaviors. Right, Correct. right. It, when you teach the offering project management, you have a lot. What are some of the key insights that clients take away from the one or two day Franklin Covey project management solution? I think um, one thing we hear all the time, and we did base this on Project Management Institute's PMBOK, right? Yeah. So we didn't come up with our own framework. Right. We, we actually based it on something real. And, and so we hear all the time, we love that we have a common language and a common process that's true whether I'm an official project manager or an unofficial one. When we're all talking the same language, right? When, I, when everybody knows what a key stakeholder is, we do a better job in actually working through that project to a successful completion. The other thing that we hear is, um, it, you know, we could have spent a whole hour on just key stakeholders, mm. right? Mm. One of the biggest mistakes that people make is their unwillingness 
to engage those key stakeholders, both at the beginning when we need to listen first, but all the way it's through the It's usually accidental project. or you find it's purposeful? I think it's accidental. Yeah, I think I, I also think it's a little bit of our own ego that mm. gets involved because we all want to please those key stakeholders, right? And I think we make the mistake of thinking, I'll please them by just taking it and running with it mm. and coming back with it done and complete. Instead, we need to stop and engage them all the way through. And I'll tell you why. I've been a key stakeholder. There are many projects I've handed out in my life where I didn't really know what I was handing, right? And so part yeah. of it is you've got to engage me along the way so that I'm clear about what we're really shooting for. If you don't give me that opportunity as a key stakeholder, then we've set both of us up for failure. When I hear the term, I think sort of, oh, project management term, key stakeholder, yeah, yeah, yeah. But as I'm listening to you, I think I can count on probably an embarrassing number of fingers the time I've been in this firm, 22 years, how many times I've gotten a project to almost into the road and I realized, oh my gosh, I forgot this entire group. How could I have forgotten about them? I, I mean, right. I've been here for two decades. It's probably because of my rush to uh, launch or my rush to you know, process or lack of process where I really haven't sat down and taken the time to think about making sure I have everybody identified and to what level should they or shouldn't they be involved? Is my ego keeping them out? Is it just I was you know, uh, hasty, right? Yeah. Accidentally, yeah. yeah, it's a great insight. Yeah. So if, if we, we want to give people a second thing to do today, as you think about those projects, right? Then think about who are the key stakeholders on those projects? Who are all of the people who need to be involved and weigh in in some way so that you have listened to them as you embark? It really speaks to a theme in my life. I turned 50 last week, which is about- Congratulations. A good, thanks, a good milestone. Call me when you do. Uh, <laughs> it's a good milestone because uh, Brendan Bouchard, who is a, a prolific writer and author and YouTube sensation, has a phrase that I'm gonna kind of bastardize, but he basically said, um, in almost every case in life, slower is better than fast. Yes. And it's, my life has kind of been the opposite. You know, in almost every case in Scott's life, faster is better than slower, because slow doesn't exist in my life. But as I hit 50, I found myself trying to slow down. I have a lot of responsibility, right? A big career and a family and three boys and I'm on several boards and we're all super busy. Right. And the faster I go, the more I feel like I can maintain my obligations and you know, pack as much in in life. But even with project management, that principle fits really well. Absolutely. Stephen Covey says with people, slow is fast and fast is slow. And even with projects sometimes, this isn't forced fit. With project management sometimes, slow is fast. Absolutely, and we, and we can talk about this next time. But you know, if we the number one thing we hear from people is it's a little project. I don't need to put all of this process to it. Mm. I don't need to run it through all of the the, the phases of a of a project. I don't have time to interview key stakeholders. And here's what I say every single time: You're going to spend the time somewhere. You're either mm. going to spend it at the beginning, getting it right or you're gonna spend three times Cleaning as much in the middle as you clean it up. That was my, that'll be my, my obituary. <laughs> right, well, and we all know it. We know it inherently, yeah. 
but it does take slowing it down does, yeah. for us to stop and say, wait a second. It's not as where fun. Where do I want to spend right? it? You don't get the high no. up front of taking the time, ticking and tying, interviewing all your stakeholders. The high kind of comes from seeing progress. Is that not true? It's absolutely true. And then, like you said, you'll deal with the unintended dead bodies, so to speak, later on. But it really isn't mature leadership. And your book talks about that. And that's why I say it's a leadership book, because it's sort of Stephen Covey's principle of measure twice, cut once. Measure twice, cut yeah. once. Yeah. And by the way, Scott, there's a cost to it. I mean, the book goes into it. But yeah. there is a, a, a person in the book who talks about the fact that last year they spent $2.5 million on projects that didn't go well. Not what we would call big P I know. projects. Those I read big, it. Those big ones, right? It's all the little ones. When I read that, I, I started thinking about at Franklin Covey, and we're a really disciplined organization. I mean, I sometimes, you know, rag on us on screen here, but this is a really fine organization with Absolutely. high accountability, great communication, super high trust. We do what we say we're going to do. We always treat our clients right, and when it doesn't go well, we make it right. Right. And I also could tick off a dozen projects that kind of just like disappeared into the wind right? That were not small investments for the company. Not unique to us, but I could think of a lot here in our firm that just sort of evaporated. They evaporated because we didn't put the rigor That's to right. them, right? That's right. And, and the cost that I would say, you know, money is one thing. There's another cost, and the cost is things, do I become an organization that gets known for not being able to and execute? It's a cultural implication, right? right? There's cultural, there's People want to win. People will leave. People will leave, I'm not engaged. And the other thing you start to see is a lack of innovation from a team yeah. because they realize, well, every time we start a project, it doesn't finish anyway, so why bother? Or it's haphazard and it's just, right. you know, yeah, it's gonna be mind numbing along the way. Right. Yeah, I, I think part of my learning also in the book is I like to solve problems. I'm not afraid of, of problem solving, even when I create it myself. Yeah, I, I'm going to, you know, accomplish the project, yes, this and this might happen, it's okay, I don't mind that. And that frame of mind isn't always the same as everybody else. Some people would rather not have those unintended issues come about if just a little more deliberation and thought. And I've kind of found that frustrating. Yes. But what I've also learned is that they find my style frustrating, right? And just because I'm the formal leader doesn't mean I get to have my way because people quit their boss. They do. They don't quit their companies. They More quit their leaders. More often than they quit anything else, right? Right. Yeah, and, and again, you're, you're alluding back to people in process. I'm gonna get fired. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta stop these interviews. <laughs> Suzette, what an honor. Great conversation. We will have you back. We'll talk more about the process side next time, but I'm delighted to have your time today. Thanks, I know Scott. you're on to your next project in a couple of minutes here, so I'm trying to respect that. So thank you so much. Thank each of you, and we will hopefully see you back here next week as well. We invite you to, if you've enjoyed this series of interviews and our time today with Suzette, share the link. This um, uh, webcast and interview is also in a podcast format. It's going uh, pretty significantly in terms of increasing every week. We're delighted with a number of you who are commenting on it and forwarding it on. And we hope to see you back next week and invite some of your colleagues, family, and friend to join us. Thanks so much. Have a great week.